Hi, this is Sarah Kornblatt, and welcome back for another episode of Soul Goals, where we jump into trying to understand what it looks like to be a strong and vibrant Jewish woman in this day and age, using the lens of biblical women and other examples to really try to paint this picture and understand. So it's great to be back after being off for Pesach and hope everyone had a nice Pesach. I do want to thank those who reached out with feedback and comments. It's very helpful as we kind of forge the path of this show together. So today we are going to talk about Batya, the daughter of Paro. When I think of her, I kind of have that school child vision of this our princess with her arms stretching out super long and getting baby Moshe out of the water. And so now really reading through the sources and the Mepharshim and getting a fuller picture and understanding of who this incredible woman was, it's exciting and enlightening. And I'm excited to share what I found with you. So Last time we spoke about the midwives and in in Egypt defying the word of Paro. And now we're going to talk about someone else in the same story who's also defying the word of Paro and showing strength, similarly putting their putting herself at risk in the name of doing what's right. And so I'm going to use this incredible incredible book, Ishe HaTanach, the Encyclopedia of Biblical Personalities, um, to kind of run through a more complex version of this story. So we know that Batya was at the Nile, but what was she doing there? Was she taking her morning bath? So obviously there are so many different explanations, but the one that is really powerful is that she was there using the Nile as a mikvah, right? Using it to cleanse herself of the impurity of the idol worship that was uh, permeated the palace, which is where she was living. And so, you know, it was pre-Matan Torah, but at that point, that was the equivalent of conversion. And So, I mean, I think that's pretty incredible if you think about it, and we'll talk about it more after I run through the story. The concept of somebody who's growing up in the midst of such a low level of um, Toma, right? And seeing the truth and looking past it is pretty incredible to really discover that. And so... We'll go through that more because I think that's one of the most remarkable parts of this story. So there's it also says in the Mepharshim that she had Ruach HaKodesh, that she was going to be raising um, the Redeemer um, of Israel. And so she would walk by the Nile every morning, also knowing that this was coming, that Moshe was coming. And so her... Her shifts, right? Her maidens, they said, Oh no, this is a Jewish child. And this is the quote of what they said. They said, Mistress, it's customary that when a king of flesh and blood issues a decree, 
even if the whole world does not fulfill it, at least his children and the members of his household fulfill it, yet you transgress your father's decree. And so according to this, in the Gemara, it says that then the Malach Gavriel came and struck them down um, and got rid of the witnesses to this who were trying to stop her from saving him. That's pretty remarkable. So not only was she actively saving a Jewish child at the, you know, definitely directly contradicting what her father wanted, but it wasn't just an internal voice. There was these external voices saying, what are you doing? You can't be defying your own father's word. You live in the palace. And so she, you know, we know, obviously ignored that and forged on. And so, you know, we, we know how the story goes. Miriam is there. She, you know, ends up, Moshe won't nurse from any of the Egyptian nursemaids. And then um, Yulchevet has the opportunity to nurse her child. And then we, when he is finished nursing, she brings him back to Baya and she raises him in the palace. I don't know what you're thinking as you listen to this story. And, you know, of course, we know the bare bones story, you know, just growing up. But to me, I just, I really marvel at the strength that she had to directly defy her father under his own roof. And to have that clarity, even when she would have every reason and excuse to not have clarity because she's being inundated with idolatry and immorality all day long where she's living. Yet she was able to look right through that and see what the right thing to do was. So how was she rewarded? So we hear multiple things that she was rewarded with. So the first one is, is that Moshe, we know, has many names. I feel like at some point I probably had to memorize them. (laughs) Don't ask me to recite them now. But in the Torah, only one name is used, and that name is Moshe, and that is the name that Batya gave him. And so that is one of the rewards, that this greatest leader of all time, the name that we know him by is the name that she gave him. Another thing, so during Makas Bechoros, um, female firstborns were killed just as readily as male firstborns, yet Batya was spared um, because of what she did. And so actually, if you recall, (laughs) we started off this show talking about that Midrash Mishle, talking about Aisha's Chayel and the fact that these different lines correspond with different women. And the one that corresponds with Batya is Vatakam Ba'od Laila. And what happened in the middle of the night? Makas Bechoros, right? And so she was spared. And additionally, and it says this in Midrash Mishle, and it says it in other places as well, is that she was actually one of nine people who entered, entered Gan Eden during their lifetimes. So kind of this... Instead of the typical route of dying and your soul going to heaven, they literally, these nine people in their physical form, went straight to Gan Eden. So it's pretty, it's hard to comprehend that. 
but we do know that that is a huge reward. And so another thing was is that later on um, in the in Tanakh, when the children of Moshe are list of, are listed, they're listed as children of like these are the descendants of Basia. And so because she raised him, she merited even later in Tanakh to be recorded as his mother. So really like these rewards are very, very big and very special and emphasize the wonderfulness of what she did. So stepping back from the story, the two things that really jumped out at me were her strength and her clarity. And in regard to the strength, the strengths defy her father. Actually, amazingly, right, it was just Pesach, which is why I chose these women to start off with. Someone at my Seder started reading from the Rabbi Jonathan Sachs Haggadah. Here it is. And in the back, he has an essay devoted to talking about the strength of the women in this story. And so I did want to read quickly some of what he says about Batya because I think it's, he really has a fantastic, I mean, he's a wordsmith, you know, I, I absolutely love his work, um, you know, and he passed away recently, but his words will continue on. So I'm going to read this from his essay. So again, it is impossible not to be moved by this act of compassion by one who knew all too well what was at stake, right? So he's directly talking about Batya who rescued Moshe. To raise an Israelite child in the palace, let's see, um, to raise an Israelite child in the palace of the very ruler who had issued the decree of death took moral determination of a high order, right? So there's the moral determination, which is kind of that clarity strength combination for any egyptian to protect a hebrew child was hazardous to do so in the royal palace doubly so and then he draws an interesting parallel in jerusalem today in yad vashem the holocaust museum there is an avenue of remembrance for the righteous gentiles who saved jews jewish lives during the nazi years paro's daughter created the precedent right we think about people who risk their own lives in order to do what's right and save innocent lives. And, you know, as he says that he, that Baya did create this precedent for those who risked everything to save their Jewish neighbors and community members. So what does it mean for us? I don't know how you feel, but I definitely feel like in this day and age, I'm surrounded by messaging and all over the place. That's, you know, the opposite of what I believe on a spiritual and religious level. And I can't necessarily compare my life to living in Paro's palace, but it can be hard to maintain clarity of vision and that kind of really strong decisiveness, knowing what the right thing to do is, 
knowing what Hashem wants for me. And for me, I guess I draw strength from this example of someone who was in the midst of this and was able to see so clearly that it was not what she wanted and it was not the right way to be. And I think that, you know, there's gray area everywhere and sometimes the gray area is the hardest. Sometimes the black and white is much easier. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Rav Dessler's Nikudos Habachira, but basically the concept that we have these points where things are challenging for us, right? So there are things that are not even what he would say in the Nikudos Habachira. They're not even like a decision point. It's not a decision point for me not to go out and kill someone. It's just not, it's not an option. It's not a challenge, right? So it's, you move all the way down the scale to see where is your challenge point. And so I think that those really extremes are easier to see, but once you're in the middle zone, it can be much harder to differentiate and distinguish what's right and what's not. And then, you know, in terms of the defying her father's orders and, you know, the midwives too, defying. So, you know, what's defiance? Is defiance a quality that, oh, a strong Jewish woman is defiant? I would say that that is not accurate, right? There's got to be limits. And what, what does it mean to be strong or to strongly oppose something? And I think that what stands out here is the fact that the defiance was rooted in Torah and truth and God's will. And so it was more of like that zealous defiance, not like a personal defiance. And so I think that in regard to channeling that into everyday life, it's channeling this defiance of I'm going to be strong and stand my ground in areas that I'm, that I'm receiving a lot of pressure to do something that I know is not right. And so it's, it's not defiance for the sake of defiance or being argumentative. It's standing strong in what you know is right. I would love to hear from you if you want to reach out. Um, I have, you know, on the posa.co website, there's a little box <laughs> that you can send me a voice note. Um, send a message, send a video, whatever you'd like. And I would love to hear your input, specifically surrounding some of the topics that came up today, like what does it mean to be strong and have that clarity in this day and age and kind of tying that together. So I'd love to hear from you. Um, Any questions, comments, feedback, absolutely invited and appreciated. And I'm excited to continue this journey and see what we can do to continue to really strengthen and solidify this vision that we're building together. So wishing you all the best and we'll see you next time.